Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome to the family with... Co-host, Catherine Brandt. Ralph Dove, Bachelor MD, Hackmaster. Alex Brampard Rasmussen. And Andy Brampard. We'll be right back. Special guest right after this with the family. Walls Auto Motor Group, Walls.com, and Doug Sprinthal. Nissan news. This is exciting, and I'm glad Andy's here. We just got our first shipments at Coon Rapids Nissan and Burnsville Nissan of the all-new 2021 Nissan Rogue. Dude, you need to trade. This is a brand-new vehicle. It's got bird's-eye parking. So when you're backing up, you hit the screen, and it it's like a spy satellite above oh. the vehicle. It is, and it's got ProPilot. It is cool. Trade your car in. Well, Melissa said she did like this one better than the last one, so maybe she'll like the next one better than this one. All right. Be like Andy and Melissa and check out the Nissan Rogue. It's been a dream of mine to be like Andy ever since he was born. <laughs> so, yeah, check out these vehicles at Walzer Nissan in Burnsville and in Coon Rapids, House of J-Lo and the House of Dan Resch. Tell them Andy sent you. Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best your best interest in mind correct well you want to know what your rights are you know whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not that's a choice it's a free consultation and you want to understand what your all your rights are and what coverages you have and plus the fact i hang out with you so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if i'm hanging out with you uh, maybe <laughs> uh, okay ladies and gentlemen michael bryant bradshaw and bryant We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Ah, yes. What a world. Is Chris ready to go? Uh-huh. Chris Johnson with us. How you doing, Chris? I'm great, Tom. How are you? Marvelous. Now, Chris, where, where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Well, I was born outside of uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in a small city called Elwood City, Pennsylvania. 
But I grew up upstate New York uh, for most of my formative years. The only reason I ask is you're not allowed to leave the state of Minnesota if your name is Chris Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we got more Johnsons than anybody, Chris. Uh, It's got to be the plainest of of names and uh, unremarkable. And and, and I'm sorry to all the other Chris Johnsons out there that... uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there you hey, go. Hey, I love Minnesota. I spent time in Minnesota. One of our vets was from Minnesota. We did a film. Uh, my the first my first Hollywood picture that I ever had the good opportunity to work on was uh, Drop Dead Fred, which we filmed in Minneapolis, oh, Minnesota. Great movie. Love love Minneapolis. Well, it's wonderful to hear Chris Johnson, ladies and gentlemen. A hybrid documentary, Journey to Royal, a World War II rescue mission. It's out now. Chris Johnson is with us. I, I just, instead of reading it, oh, by the way, you can go to journeytoroyal.com to check it out, journeytoroyal.com. Chris, what's this all about? It's a, what a story. Well, it's, you know, it's a story that's about a rescue squadron in the South Pacific. And central to the story is my personal connection, which is my great uncle, uh, Royal Stratton. And he perished at the end of the war in a rescue mission. And his absence was felt in our family. Uh, 60, to this day, actually, is the reality Mm -hmm. of it. And so it got me to thinking, uh, you know, what, who was this person that his absence has has so struck uh, the the fiber of our family that this many years on, people are are still moved by him not being there and, and, and talking about it. And that was the seed that got planted. And, and um, my production partner, Mariana Tosca, uh, who's a producer on this picture, we, we found the last surviving member of Royal's crew, and we did a research oh. interview. The, the, the idea was we were going to learn from him, and, and I was going to write a narrative feature film about this. And when we did that interview, and we heard his story firsthand, it became vividly clear that the story wasn't some fictionalized account. It's, it's, the, it's the veteran story from the veteran. And so we, we shifted gears and decided to do a hybrid approach, which is a documentary, but with feature film segments that amplify the action and drops the audience right into the middle of the South Pacific for, for certain portions of the picture to help uh, put them in, in the shoes of these veterans that are plucking fellow airmen out of the South Pacific under, under dangerous, uh, you know, enemy territory, circumstances that are incomprehensible, I think, to most people today. You know, Chris, i got to tell you, somebody in, in, um, of my generation, I'm a baby boomer, and people of my generation um, will never forget the greatest generation. There's no doubt about it. We were so lucky to be the children of the greatest generation. Uh, and I think Tom Brokaw did a great job of that book. My lovely wife, Catherine, is here. Her father is now 94 years old and served in the war you're talking about and is highly decorated. What a man he is. Wow. What, you know, Catherine, and, and, and I don't know if he's shared stories about his service. Many, many veterans don't. But what a, right. what a privilege and honor to be able to be in the presence of somebody that opens up and conveys some of these things, the good, the bad, the, the reality of that time. It's, I mean, would you agree that it's just an experience that, that nothing else can touch? 
Uh, absolutely. I He's only shared, I think, maybe five stories. One where he was uh, in a machine gun nest and mortar came in and he almost died. He ended up spending six months in a hospital. And one was uh, when he liberated a concentration camp and saw what had happened to the people there. And marching up through, uh, luckily he didn't have land in Normandy, he was in France, but he, he marched up through France to get into Germany that way. And joining up when he was 16 and a half. <laughs> I thought he was 17. <laughs> Apparently he lied and lied and lied about his age. He lied so much he didn't know how old he was. <laughs> but, and almost getting, almost getting kicked back from, I think he was in Africa when they found out how old he was. And he, he almost got sent back home, but he talked the sergeant into letting him stay. He's like, hey, by the time you send me home, and then I have to redo boot camp and rejoin, I'll be 17 and a half anyway, which is legal. Yeah. <laughs> so he ended up staying there and he hasn't told a lot of stories about it and he never talked at all about it until maybe about the last 10 years maybe i think well i, I know that for the family members we interviewed that was uh that was often the case and when we were when we scheduled these interviews uh, Marianne and I would travel uh, to the homes of these veterans, and oftentimes the family would ask us if they could join, uh, be present during the interview, and of course, of course, uh, would be the answer. And we found more often than not, the family hadn't heard any of the stories that their mm. relative yep. was, was telling us about. And so it became this cathartic healing um, process, and we were always grateful to be there but in, in some strange reversal of gratitude the family always thanked us which felt like i said it just felt backwards we were just so grateful to be there and to 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 be recording these stories that these veterans were sharing with us um but the gratitude seemed to be mutual and so it seemed as if it was almost a healing process uh for the family because so often uh, you're asking these veterans to relive what may have been the worst memories of their lives. And uh, so you go in, we, we always went in tactfully, but um, very early on we learned that we had to temper our enthusiasm and, and excitement for being able to be in the presence of these people because um, it was inappropriate. Uh, so, yes, we were enthusiastic, but we had to have a reverence for what they had gone through and what they were sharing with us and, and act accordingly. And it's been the greatest honor uh, of our, I, I think it's fair to say, our professional career to be able to record and, and share these stories with the audiences. Well, it's amazing. The impact that that war had on the world is, you know, we're still feeling it today. Yes, yes. And I, I think we've had, look, obviously we've had wars since and we've had conflicts since and uh, none has raised to the precipice of that kind of no. global conflict where the stakes were so high. And God forbid we should ever, ever be back there again. But our very way of life today is still informed from everything that that generation did uh, on the heels of the Great Depression, being thrust into a global world war like that. Um, that, that was really the foundation for the lives we have today. And we've had, 
I think we've had a couple a couple decades where it's been easy for the for the average citizen of the United States to live, you know, the modern technology, and and, and we're mm-hmm. we're quite a, quite a distance generationally from the actual events of that war. And I think it's easy to forget the sacrifices and and the things that these the 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 people of the greatest men and women of the greatest generation were called upon uh, to do in order to preserve what what you know would eventually be the the, the country that we have today. It's interesting. My dad loves to wear his World War II baseball cap everywhere he, <laughs> he goes. Does. That's he does. true. Yeah, he, he never does. leaves. He never leaves his apartment without his World War II baseball cap. And and I, you know, whenever I'm around with him, some people just say thank you for your service. And this one weird guy came up, and his mouth was hanging open when he was looking at his baseball cap. He's like. Oh my God! You were in World War II. That must have been the worst thing in the whole wide world. Mm. Oh my God! And my dad looked at me and said, "Hey, we had some fun." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had some fun. No problem. It's uh, always from my. You know, my grandfather used to wear uh, his um, Royals brother uh, has the same kind of uh, baseball cap. It says World War II on it, and he would wear that around. And people, people would say the same thing. God, I, we, we've been struck by the sense of humor of these, some of these veterans, some of the stories they tell in, in, against this backdrop of horror. The stories they would tell are light and hilarious, and somehow mm-hmm. they were able to find the humor and the good in between the bad. And that just, that just speaks to the resilience of that generation and, and, and humanity in general that uh, they were seeking out the fun and the good uh, pranksters uh, to, to, to a man uh, in the squadron. And, and, and the stories, you know, there's, there's certainly not enough time to go into them, but, but boy, uh, we, we got a good laugh at a great number of these interviews, and it certainly broke up um, some of the seriousness of, of what, the, what they were up against. Sure. No question about it. You know, did you, Chris, do you think there's a the, a uh, a boomer family out there that wasn't affected in some way by by World War II? I mean, you just you guys talking about you talking about Royal and Catherine talking about her, her father. I remember my uncle Augie, who served in Japan in World War II, went in at 17 years old. At the end of the war, war is over now. He had fallen in love with a Japanese woman. And he wanted to bring her back to America and marry her and live with her for the rest of his life. Her Japanese family said, absolutely not. That's not going to happen. My uh, grandparents apparently said, no, that's not going to work, bringing a Japanese woman to America after World War II. You can't do it. Forget it. Well, he came home, never did get married, and died at 39 years old. He just, he was, mm, it, it was just very, very sad story, you know? And there's so many of them, aren't there, Chris? There are really, uh, there are, and I can't, you know, that's, Augie's story is is such a a sad story, and, um, you know, it's so, I think it's so difficult when such a traumatized, a globally traumatizing event occurs, and to look at people, look, we're all just human beings at the whims of of our relative governments, right? And the few people in power are always thrusting the young soldier into conflict on, on behalf of their own motives, right? And so, mm-hmm. so the citizens of Japan or Germany 
um, in the best case scenarios, they're just people uh, under under the yoke of of their their leadership. And at the end of the day, you know, when all of that is passed, um, how how challenging must it have been for people to reach across the aisle, shake hands, or uh, condone a marriage in the family uh, of um, a society that was just trying to destroy us or kill us or overtake us. Right, right. Yeah, you know, that's no uh, that's a challenging that. thing. But but that you know, there's a there's a veteran in in Journey to Royal. His name is Jerry Yellen, and uh, his family encountered the same thing that your family went through with Augie, uh, except um, except the marriage did happen, and it oh. changed Jerry Yellen. Uh, who was a fighter pilot that uh, that crossed paths with the Fourth Emergency Rescue Squadron and Royal, and his uh, you know one of his children uh, married uh, uh, somebody that was uh, the the daughter of a Japanese fighter pilot, and the reconciliation mm-hmm. once they met and uh, and saw the humanity in each other's families. And the pride that they had in that union was profoundly healing. And he spent he spent much of his life uh, sharing that story, and you know, sharing that that people people do heal, and and, and we do move on from those conflicts. Uh, but but the, the the wounds and the effects, uh, the world changing effects of World War II, are still with us today. And, um, no question. And you know, we live a life based on the fact that that, that the greatest generation stood up and uh, and and and, and uh, put put an end to the tyranny that was threatening the world. It's right. it, 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 it's 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 mythological. Oh, it is absolutely. Can you imagine the difference? The the, the different face of the earth. Had the Japanese and the Germans won that war, and they came awfully close to winning that war. People don't realize that uh, there's wasn't a whole lot of space there for victory. I'll tell you, uh, and people have to look back and remember that. Um, you can stay with us for another segment. I hope, Chris, is that all right with you? Uh, it'd be it'd be a pleasure, Tom. Thank you. Great. We'll be back in just two minutes more with Chris Johnson right after this. Tom Bernard with my buddy and CEO from North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Michael, you work with many different types of businesses. Can you tell me about one of them? Absolutely. Real Fishing was started by a young entrepreneurial couple here in the Twin Cities. They offer guided fishing services during the open water season and ice house rentals in the winter. They came to us with a great idea for their business, but not a lot of experience in getting one off the ground. Now that they're up and running, they've told us how much they appreciate that we listen to their ideas for their business and help them work through all of the contingencies that could come. Knowing that we will be here to help them every step of the way with the capital they need. Yeah, they're not going to get that at just any bank. You need Bilski. Tommy, our whole team at all of the branches take pride in providing outstanding customer service and are ready to help our clients when they need us most. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. Dan Chesky is here from Dan Southside Marine to talk boats in February. 2021 is all about boat inventory or the lack thereof. Dan's has what you're looking for in the color and model you want. 
So get in and take advantage of the factory incentives and discounts February offers. Why should our listeners shop for a fishing boat at Dan Southside Marine? We have the latest models on display, like the new Revolution. It features rotational seating from Premier Marine and the new Lumacraft FSX crossover fishing ski. Both are getting tons of attention and grabbing sales from the competition. Dan Southside Marine is packed with pontoons from Avalon, Berkshire, and Premier with all the rebates and incentives we mentioned at the top. Get the family out this weekend and come see these amazing pontoons. And be sure to ask about custom-rigged Alumacraft fishing boats this weekend at Dan Southside Marine during our February open house. Dan Southside Marine, six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington. Shop online at dansouthsidemarine.com. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Chris Johnson, our special guest today, uh, Journey to Royal, World War II Rescue Mission, talking about Lieutenant Royal Stratton, uh, Chris's uncle. Uh, I just want to read a few stats that you included in the descriptor here, Chris. This is fantastic. Um, the story takes place during the Second World War. The 4th Emergency Rescue Squadron was stationed on Mariana Islands of the South Pacific. Its crews, police uh, flight paths, searching for B-29 bombers in jeopardy and downed airmen in need of rescue in the open ocean of this war-torn theater. 4th Emergency Rescue Squadron statistics. 862 rescue missions. 6,000 hours of flying time. 89 direct rescues. 487 assisted rescues. And 576 people were still alive. That's how many lives they saved. What a great story this is. It's remarkable to think about the impact that 576 lives have. Uh, yeah, we, yeah. we interviewed some of the, survive, the the children of some of the people that were uh, rescued by Royal and the squadron, and they literally wouldn't exist had this squadron and Royal and the crews of the 4th Emergency Rescue Squadron, had they not done what they had done, these people wouldn't be alive. And I, that, to, to wrap your mind around that concept is uh, it, it's just... Uh, it's challenging. It's a challenging concept. Yeah, when you start looking at who would be here, who wouldn't be here, I mean, the, that gets a little scary, doesn't it? Thinking about, you came this close to not even being here. Uh, you know, I, I suppose you'd never know it, so it wouldn't have had that big an effect. But still, the fact that you're living a life, you got uh, you got a huge break in World War II, no doubt about it. Well, when you think about how tenuous, um, you know, imagine being, uh, have, you ever, have you ever been on, on a Great Lake or on the ocean? Uh, if you have been, then you know yep. how vast that body of water, yeah, of course, right? Mm. It's just vast out there. Now imagine a person uh, floating in that ocean or in a, in a life raft, and you're flying at 50 or 100 feet at 100 knots, and you're relying on the eyes of airmen to see you in that vast space. Uh, that the thin thread between uh, life and death is uh, hopefully the thinnest it'll ever be in, in one's lifetime. But the fact that these people with the technology of the day were able to find these people, pluck them out of the ocean, and bring them back safely while flying unarmed in enemy territory, those the odds of, of that being a success must be astronomical. And yet they did it, and they did it numerous times. So uh, I, I just... And they were 22 years old, 23 years old, 25 years old. Yeah. I mean, are yep. you kidding me? <laughs> it doesn't seem even plausible. 
It does not. And by the way, Chris, thank you. You're very, you do a very good interview, and I'll tell you why. Because you threw us a bone with the, if you've ever been on the ocean or a Great Lake. <laughs> I like that, Chris. That was a good move right We've there. We've been on both. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. No, you're right. Though. You, you just, uh, Catherine and I, uh, what is it, a year, two ago, when we went to Cuba mm-hmm. on the, yes. a couple years ago, Catherine and I took a trip down to Cuba on a, on a, uh, what are those things called again? I keep forgetting. A cruise ship. A cruise ship. Yeah, there you go. What, what are those on. things Chris, called? Chris, I got no idea what they're. I don't know a what they're boat. called. Right? We it was a rowboat. No. But honestly, just a little change in the weather. It changes this. It changes that. It gets very, very severe. Yes. Uh, and this is, you know, within ninety miles of the United States of America. I can, uh, what? So, so where did Royal grow up? Did he grow up in in uh, Pennsylvania? Yeah, he grew up in western Pennsylvania in a place called Elwood City. And, um, in Elwood in fact, City, okay. Yeah, that's, that's where my family, at least uh, my grandfather's generation uh, and his father, you know, they lived in that general area. Um, and then from there, you know, obviously at the breakout of World War II, these, much like many uh, young men from small-town Americas, small towns across America, rather, um, they, you know, you, you get on a train, and then the next thing you know, you're at basic in some other foreign, what, what was a, must have, must have seemed like a foreign land back then, you know. They just came out of the Great Depression, working on a farm. Next thing you know, you're learning to fly in Pensacola, Florida, learning to fly an odd amphibious airplane, and then you're sent overseas. And, you know, like you were just saying, the tropics are entirely different from anything uh, you would experience in, in Western Pennsylvania or any of the mm-hmm. uh, any of the places you know inland uh, mainland America. So I, I can't imagine like you, culture shock and 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 weather and all of those things that you're taking in, and then to be on top of that, add uh, one of the most uh, consequential global turning points for the world in, in that conflict. Um, that's just, um, uh, it's, it's, it's unimaginable what, what they were up against and, and, and remarkable how well they handled it. And at such a form of age, 22, 22 years old, I can't, I can't imagine having that kind of responsibility. Can you imagine being 22, you're in western Pennsylvania, and about 10 minutes later, you're on the Mariana Islands in the middle of nowhere, baby? Man, that's quite a topographical change there from western Pennsylvania to the Mariana Islands. I, you know, I, I, I can only in the, for the, for the end of the picture, we, uh, we, we filmed the epilogue on Iwo Jima. We went to Iwo Jima. Oh, and, God. Um, that that is uh, hallowed ground there, and um, so there's a, a extinct volcano on uh, called Suribachi, and mm-hmm. on top of that is where that famous photo of the flag raising uh, that most everybody has seen at some point or another, and um, the end of the picture takes place there, and from from the the black sands of the beaches there. To hike to that uh, the precipice of that Mount Sarbachi, which, which isn't that high; it's only 500 or so feet. feet. Mm-hmm. But when you've got camera gear on your back and it's you know 90 percent humidity and it's 98 degrees, uh, and you haven't been trained like the Marines or any of these people, it gives you 
uh, one one thousandth, perhaps, of the what what these these young men must have been up against in the, in the tropics and on these islands, carrying all that gear on their back. And things. So you do get a, you get a fraction of that, and what it does is it, it it gives you a perspective and a respect for what they went through, and the ones that survived it, you just it's it's a miraculous thing to have gotten out of there. Uh, in one piece, and, and so many didn't. Um, but, you know, our promise, uh, the producer on the picture, Mariana Tosca, and I, we made a promise to these veterans at the beginning, you know, every veteran we met that we interviewed for this picture, that we would do everything within our power to preserve their legacy and their stories and, and get them out into the world. And, and Tom, you're helping us to do that with uh, by, by, by sharing the story of Journey to World on your show. And, um, it's it's a promise that, that we're, we're striving ever to keep. And it's so important that we never forget where we've come from because that informs where we go, it informs why we have the life and the luxuries that we have today, and it reminds us that these things are tenuous and that they shouldn't be taken for granted. And we don't have to go through life with this heavy burden of you know daily thinking about the sacrifices everybody has made in our past, but it, it certainly warrants remembering. Uh, where we've come from and what we have today is that that what we have today is a result of those people. There is no question. You just reminded me, we we made a friend in Florida. He's gone on vacation, go to Florida, and met a guy playing golf. His name was Bernie. He was a nice Jewish boy from New York City, as a matter of fact. And he was about five foot four or five. He was not a very tall guy at all. And at that time, God, I, when I first met him, he was probably 80. He was about 80 years old. He just died recently. He didn't quite make it to 100, but he, uh, he just died recently, unfortunately. But I, I, the, uh, what you're talking about, what that, what that made Bernie, Bernie was on Iwo Jima when they raised the flag. He was not one of the guys who raised it, but he was there when it happened. And five foot four or not, I would not have wanted to tangle with Bernie because, uh, I guess talking to his friends that had served with them, that he was one tough sob, is the way they put it. <laughs> is that amazing? It's amazing. It is. It is. I would, in any dust up with any World War II veteran, whether they were eighty or not, they would hand me my hat, and and, and rightfully so. I wouldn't even <laughs> venture into that arena. There's no question. And you know, you bring up his stature. Um, a lot of these guys, you know, they weren't. They weren't big. Um, no. I know Royal was uncommonly tall. He was six three or six four. But um, uh, another a gentleman from the from the squadron. His name was Walter Shepard. And he he would joke about Royal, and uh, he would say whenever I stood next to Royal, he'd look like Mutt and Jeff. And uh, for those uh, <laughs> your listeners that don't know, Mutt and Jeff was a, a cartoon uh, of the era. And uh, Mutt was really really tall. And Jeff was really really short. And everybody would have gotten that reference back then, but. But, you know, most of those guys, you know, they were 5'8", five, 5'7", five, five, you know. Um, yep. Especially the pilots. You had to be sort of smaller for some of those some of those cockpits. But, uh, like I said, I certainly wouldn't get in the dust up with any one of them. No question. There is no question. Journeytoroyal.com is the site. Uh, Chris, you're a terrific guy. What I love about talking to guys like you, because, you know, my wife and our kids, you know, I'm so proud of the fact that our children actually share blood and got to meet a, a World War II hero like that. Andy and Alex, you do realize how wonderful that is that you're able to do that, right? 
Yep. Well, I see him twice a week, so. <laughs> yeah, it's terrific. It's just wonderful. It makes us all feel better, Chris, because you're so dedicated to this. It's a wonderful story. Thank you so much for your time today. I'd love to talk to you again sometime. Well, Tom, it's been a pleasure. And uh, Catherine, Alex, Andy, uh, thanks for spending some time uh, talking about the film and these veterans. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. And if you, anytime you need another another uh, slot, don't don't hesitate. Reach out. I'd love to talk to you again. As I said, thanks, Chris. Thank you, Tom. Have a good day. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. I met the folks from Shift Real Estate last year on our way to Key West and loved their story. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees because they list for a flat fee of $5,000, and that includes photos, MLS listing, online marketing, and the assistance of a full-time realtor. Tell Shift about your home, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more. Shift Real Estate, the common-sense way to sell your home. Visit shift2sell.com because life is expensive enough. There are definitely things to avoid during a Minnesota winter, like licking a flagpole or waiting too long to replace that car battery. But number one on the list is taking a chance on your furnace. Hey, Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning, reminding you that a furnace clean and tune will improve efficiency, reliability, and peace of mind. Or maybe it's time to take advantage of Sabre's rebates and upgrade to an energy-efficient Bryant system. Don't take chances on your comfort. Visit SabreHeating.com. Sabre and Bryant. Whatever it takes. Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors, to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is an equal opportunity employer. Andy, yes, is Bilski there yet? Uh, no, he's not. But he's coming in. You're going to record commercials with him today, right? I think so. Yeah, he's coming in. Alex, you should stick around and say hello to Mike. He'd love to see you. We'll maybe see him. I do have to get home to relieve Michael. He doesn't do anything and sit around and eat biscuits. What are you talking about? Napping while the children go crazy. Exactly. Biscuits. That's him. Eats biscuits. That's it. Exactly. That's Michael right there. Speaking of biscuits, so last night I was having a little pita little pita chip snack while I was watching something on TV and I didn't put the bag away. Oh God. So I'm eating Dad. I'm eating breakfast and no, I'm eating breakfast and all of a sudden I hear this crunch, 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 crunch oh, coming from the couch. Unbelievable. Dude. <laughs> I look over there and he's he's helped himself very daintily to one one oh, pita chip. One? Of, he took what? one out of the bag. Oh, I'm like, Jude! He just starts wagging his tail. He doesn't even act like he's doing something wrong. It's like, hey, this bag was right here. No, Daisy would have shoved her face in there and eaten as many as she could before we found her. May would have eaten the bag. <laughs> just, I, I know. He, he just took one out very politely. Like, crunch, crunch. One. Jude. Yeah, it was very cute. Judy! What it, the hell is wrong with you? Can we go back? Where are the 190 countries in the world? 
I'm trying to figure this out. I know, out. 195. <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you really want to go through really, it? Like, well, okay, so you look at, you look at, uh, nor, uh, you look at uh, North America, South America, 25 countries. Look at Africa, 25 countries. Look at Europe, 25 countries. That's 75. You mm-hmm. got China and Russia that occupy most of the other landmass. Well, a lot right. of these countries are little island nations that aren't part of the main landmass, though. Well, Scandinavia's got about 10. Mm. Scandinavia is only what Scandinavia has ten countries? No. Well, there's there's a lot of people consider Scandinavia to be Iceland and all those other little ones. It's only Scandinavia is only Greenland. No, No. Greenland's not part of Scandinavia. It's Norway, Sweden, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Denmark, yeah, and Iceland. People think Finland is part of it, but it's not. Uh, it but depends not, on who right. you talk well, to. Exactly. Half the there people think yes, but, but not but not Greenland, and there's not ten. There's only yeah, no. five. Right. Well, but if you look, wow, at, okay. I'm looking at a list of the countries by area, and if you look at the smallest countries, uh, we got Estonia? Monaco is point eight or point eight miles square miles. There you go. Uh, Nauru mile. is only eight square miles. Tuvalu is ten. San Marino is twenty four. Liechtenstein is 62. Yeah. The Marshall Islands are 70. There's all these uh, all these countries out there that are the size of a city, yep, and they're all right. tiny little islands. Yeah. There's tons and tons of them. Okay, so that, so they're all out in the middle of the ocean. Everybody got an yep. island and they're their own country. A lot of these islands mm-hmm. are technically independent nations. Yeah, we should buy. Them. Doesn't Africa have like? Doesn't Africa have like 50 mm-hmm. nations there? I don't know. They got a bunch of different countries, don't Africa they? Africa has 55. Oh, 55 in Africa? Yeah, I thought so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was about, so it's 55, not 50. I thought there was only 50. Okay. So 55 different countries. Yeah, so that answers the question. That's, there's a lot of people out there that you're never going to give a rat's ass about, Ralph. Way to go. Actually. How do you feel? A lot of countries. It just, it's just surprising, just so many, because, you know, yeah. North America yep. is three countries. North oh. America is technically 45. North America's te- 45 countries? Yep. Uh, let's see. we got the Virgin Islands, Turks and Caicos, Trinidad, Tobago, St. Martin, St. Eustatius, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, St. Pierre, St. Martin, St. Lucia. These are all little tiny islands. Okay, so all the, uh, that makes sense. Yep. I was the, just the Caribbean. I should have grouped it together. Just all like, we should buy them all. Yeah, unified islands of the United States yeah. of America. Have Jeff Bezos do it. God, the, let's see. Yeah, yeah, most continents actually have almost just about fifty countries in them, except for South America. It's only got fifteen, and Oceania also has about fifteen. Hmm. So yeah, but yeah, North America, Europe, Asia, and Africa all have about fifty countries. Well, and Antarctica, of course, but. That's just the one, if it even counts as a country, which I don't think it does. It was colder here yesterday than it was in the North Pole. I don't doubt it. It Or Sunday. It was rather cold. It was colder here than the North Pole? Yeah, on Sunday, I think. Wow. Yeah. It was only negative seven. I think they're gone. I think they might have dropped. Yep. I'm going to call them It was only negative 17 at the North Pole, and here it was negative 22. Some people said 24. Some yeah. people said, yeah. Right there, they're back. Hello. Hey-o. What, what happened there? Disconnection. Yeah, you got all, you got super warbly, and then you mm-hmm. were gone. Warble, warble. And, I, and, I just, and I just said that it was colder here on Sunday than it was in the North Pole. 
<laughs> That's not good news. Claim to fame. That is not good it news. It is. Well, uh, hey, I think it's pretty cool that Minnesota is in all of the world reaches the hottest or like it can be the hottest place on the planet and the coldest place on the planet. I don't know about hot. In a year, no, true. yes, it's in the in the middle of the summer. It can be hotter. It can no, be the hottest no, place. No, 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 yes, it, it can. Be the, oh, yeah, it can. No. It happens. It's not yeah. like all the time, but it can happen. I would say that uh, Minnesota definitely has the highest temperature swings. It does have of anywhere. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. But oh, I just think yeah. it's interesting that we can be nation. within a year. We can be the hottest place on the planet mm. and the coldest place on the well, planet. Uh, so can Montana, <laughs> and so can a lot of other places on the earth. A lot of places they could I say. Just, I know, but I just think it's cool. Yeah. Bad place to live. <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, no, it's not a bad place. Uh, the largest recorded temperature change was in Montana. Montana. Oh, so there you go. Look at that. I never said that we were the only place that could do that. I just said that we can. Your body language said that this was the only place. It was your body language I was keying on. No. I never said that. <laughs> it was your body no. language. I'm just excited. No. That, but I think it's a no. cool thing. No. Yeah, Montana. Yeah. Where else? Well, it's a rough place. North Dakota's <laughs> central continental areas are rough. Russia's like messed up too. I think the greatest the same yeah. stuff. temperature swing ever on the entire planet was in Russia, in Ooh. Siberia. Oh yeah. Uh, it that cannot be right. That's why people. Are banished to Siberia. This has to be. Nobody wants to live there. Written incorrectly because it said it was a hundred five degree Celsius swing, what? which would be like almost three hundred degrees. Yeah, which I don't believe possible. <laughs> yeah, I don't pretty, I don't believe that this either. This is from GuinnessWorldRecords.com, but it says I don't. But I'm, I'm not oh, buying Celsius. It. You could do that. A hundred Celsius? Sure. It's boiling. Is yeah, forty to forty to minus sixty. Because as you get colder, it's true. It does get to minus uh, in the minus sixties there. That's true. Yeah. Why? Why does anything get to be minus sixty? <laughs> What's the point? Siberia. Is Stop so with the minus sixty. It doesn't. It clearly doesn't kill the mosquitoes or the bugs, and they're a weird. Yeah. Deal. yeah. You know, we no. can't figure out how to suspend animation, but man, these bugs have. They sure know how. Well, they, the <laughs> the secret is not having a central nervous system. The other day. Andy and Melissa came over for dinner, and the kids would not go to sleep because Andy and Melissa were still over, oh, yeah. and they were like, Very we're missing exciting. out, what's happening? And Vaughn called me up to her room for like the fourth time, and she goes, Alaskan bullfrogs freeze all winter and come back to life in the spring. <laughs> I was like, Great. thank you so much for letting me know. No, Alex, yeah, she's the queen of that stuff. Alex, I got to tell you, that sagey story on the phone the other night, I, I was telling people on, on the show that. we got I got so many responses to that. And they were right. You're out of he, the mix. That he had heard me say it many, many times and whatever, and he just kind of filed it away. So for... Ralph, I don't think Andy heard this. No, Andy didn't hear nope. this one either, I don't think. So I'm talking to Sage the other day on the phone. It's like, oh, we're going to go to Disney World in just a couple of weeks. And he goes, you're out of the mix. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yep. And they, I'm in the mix. You're out of the mix. So yes. I'm in I, the mix. I'm also out of the mix, apparently. And yeah, I was Kevin told was I was out of the mix. Out of the mix. You know, and, I, and I have a scene <laughs> suspicion that Tom is the mix. He's got, he yeah, is the mix. Oh, the mix. I think you might be right there. Someone's be writing a check there for that deal. So there's a, a meme going around on Twitter about uh, 
Gorilla Glue, Gorilla Glue hairspray. How use the Gorilla tape for a bikini wax. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. I'm like, it probably would that work. Would, no, would would people are going to do it now. Yes. It would rip your skin off. It absolutely would. Yes. Would it? Yes. 100%. Yeah. And if you yeah, didn't press really hard? No. Nope. epidermal layer after yeah, that. It's, would, no. Don't do that ever. It's think of duct tape times ten. Why does yeah. wax not? Well, I guess wax doesn't have the adhesive properties. Yeah, no, wax is not nearly as sticky. It doesn't really it just, just tangles into those hairs. In and yeah. Tangles into those hairs and uh, gorilla oh, tape. God. Yeah, you can. It will probably last basically for your entire life if you tape something with that. It's a little overkill for most purposes. Yeah. Gorilla tape is. I would think yes. I got to tell you a, a news story. I'm not going to look for it because I don't read the whole story, but I got to tell you, it'll be a good way to close the show for the day. Okay. So this guy, don't remember where it was, doesn't matter where it was, somewhere out east. I know that. Guy gets pulled over and a cop says, have you been drinking, sir? No, no, I haven't been drinking. I'm not. The cop says, well, we've got to do a breathalyzer. He goes, no, I'm not doing that. There's no reason for it. I don't need to do a breathalyzer. So they arrest the guy, or at least they take him into custody, and they're going to go to the jail. They're going to do the whole, you know, the whole work up on him and get him to do the breathalyzer and the whole deal. So they get there. The guy says, "I need to use the bathroom." Okay. <laughs> so he goes in the bathroom. Uh-oh. About ten minutes later, he comes out, and the cop asks him a question, and the guy doesn't respond. He asks him another question, and the guy didn't respond. And here's why he didn't respond. Because he had gone in the men's room and pooped in his hand. Aww. Now it gets worse. Hmm. Gone in the men's room, pooped in his hand, then put all the poop in his mouth. What the? That's why he couldn't answer the cop. The reason he did it, he spit the poop in the cop's face. <laughs> How nuts is this guy? I would have to murder him <laughs> right there. <laughs> Pretty insane. How, how crazy are you, sir? Sorry, I, I would not be able to control my anger <laughs> if someone spat shat upon me. Well, and it's like, you know, you're exactly. putting crap God. in your mouth to own the cops. Uh, yeah, good one. Yeah. You really got yeah. him. <laughs> you really got him that time, didn't you? You got turds and turds in your teeth. Yeah. Oh, my God. God, but, but you're the one who won this argument. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly how he yeah. feels. I'm sure. And now you have E. coli. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah, we'll be vomiting for oh. two little days. Hep, little hepatitis. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't care who, whose turd it is. I don't want. I don't need it. No. You know what I mean? Okay. Don't care whose turd it is. Mine, Mine yours, you. whatever. I have oh, not. Oh, you don't care. Okay, most people don't want it. Most people do care. <laughs> Do you care about what whose turd is in their mouth? That's what I'm saying. But I don't. I'm a xenophobe. I don't get any. I don't. Or I'm not. I don't get other like animal turds in my mouth. I don't. I don't. You have your descendants. Thank you. God. We're descending into. We are descending into spiraling. True. Spiraling. It's a disaster. All right, we got to wrap it up in any case. But uh, great guest today, Chris Johnson. Thanks again for coming on. Uh, nice talking to you, fine folks. And, uh, and Jude says the podcast is over. Get up, go yeah, on. Get Let's up go. and go on. Yeah, it's like, I'd like to give everybody a, a, a good thought to leave with this thought. I don't have to poop, so you don't have to worry about what I'm doing right after the show. Oh, okay. my God. Puts his turd no. in his mouth. Okay. And Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye